We have been saved to serve. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at 2 Corinthians, the, letter, the second letter to the Corinthian church written by Paul. And when you think of serving, I, I wonder if you think what I initially think when I think of serving. And that's physically. I, I think of uh, packing backpacks at Community Pathway Organization where we pack backpacks to give to students who, underprivileged students, that they have food for the weekend. I think of a highway cleanup, serving, serving like that. I think of serving physically. And yet today, Paul tells us that one of the ways we serve, now that we've been saved, now that we know that Jesus has lived, died, and rose again, that we are saved through him, is that we minister to one another. Paul says we are ministers. When we think of ministers, we probably think of a pastor or a priest or someone who's up front ministering to the congregation, and yet Paul says we are ministers. And as Christian ministers, we are different than every other minister in this world. How so? It's what Paul answers today for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me give you some background here. So remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church because the Corinthians are hurt. They are upset with Paul because Paul was going on a missionary journey, promised them that he was going to come and start his journey there, go up, and then come back around, and before he goes home, stop at Corinth a second time. After the first visit, Paul changed his mind, didn't come back, and the Corinthians are hurt that Paul broke his promise. And so they started questioning Paul, can we trust you? If you lied about this, are you lying about the promises that God makes to us? And that's what we talked about last week. That through Jesus, Paul said, every promise from God is a yes. God never breaks his promises. That's what Paul emphasized last week. And after that, into chapter 2, he talks about the work that they are doing and how he had this opportunity in, uh, in Troas to preach the gospel, and yet he was so concerned about the Corinthians that he left that opportunity to figure out what was going on. And then he says, do we still need to prove ourselves to you? Do we need letters of recommendation? Which was part of that, that culture was if you were a preacher and you were going around preaching, you need a letter of recommendation from someone else, from a congregation saying, yes, this guy's a legitimate preacher. Yes, his message is legit. Listen to him. He's like, do we need that? No. You, Corinthians, are our letters of recommendation. Besides, Paul says, our confidence doesn't come from people. Our confidence comes from the Lord. And then he launches into verse 6, and that's where we pick up as Paul talks about we are ministers of the Lord. Here's what he says. He has made, he, that's God, has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says, hold on a second, Corinthians. Uh, our competence, we're not competent because ourselves. We're competent because God has made us competent. He's made us able. He's made us capable. He is the one who makes us able to preach this new covenant to you. Notice what Paul doesn't point to at all. He doesn't say, you should listen to me because look at my track record of starting churches around the world, which, by the way, was pretty good. He doesn't point and say, Look at my track record and my studies 
of the Old Testament Scripture. He doesn't say, look at all the suffering I've done for the gospel. He says, I'm competent, I am able, we are competent as ministers because God makes us competent. Nothing else. And that's an important lesson for you and me. Do you know how long it takes to uh, be a pastor in our national church body? It takes eight years. Four years of studying the biblical languages, Greek, Hebrew, and then either uh, Latin, Spanish, or German. You study that for four years with a little bit of the Bible in there, but you're mostly studying the original languages that the Bible was written in. And then you go to seminary for another four years where you study doctrine, you study preaching, you read the Bible from cover to cover and digest the overall themes of the Bible. You learn how to teach. You learn how to counsel. You have an internship. Eight years. And yet I stand before you today not competent because of that, but competent because God makes us competent. He makes us able. It's his word that does the work. To be honest with you, the times I'm least confident is when I look to myself. Look at my training. Look at my track record. Look at my studies. That's when I'm least confident. It's God who makes us competent to minister to others. And that's what some of you need to hear today. Some of you need to hear that you are competent to minister to others because God makes you competent. So let me ask you this question. Are you always being ministered to and never ministering? If so, why? And if your hearts were laid bare, and if you were honestly shouting out the answers, I'm sure we would hear answers like, well, I just don't know enough. Well, my track record doesn't really show somebody who should be ministering to somebody. Well, I'm not really that big of a churchgoer. Well, I'm not the most moral person. What do all those answers point to? Me. God is the one who makes you competent to minister to somebody else. He is the one who's given you the competence. He's the one who's washed you uh, of all of your sins. He is the one who's conquered the grave for you. He is the one who looks at you and says, you are forgiven. And it's my word that does the work. You are competent because the Lord makes you competent. And that gives you so much confidence. It gives you confidence to minister to your family, to build them up in Jesus. It gives you confidence to minister to your connect groups, your small groups. It gives you confidence to minister to one another here. Because it's not about you, it's about what God has done for you and has made you, and he's made you competent to minister. That is huge. Every other minister in the world that's not a Christian minister, why are they competent? Only because of who they are, and that's not much. You have the God of this world making you competent to minister to one another. Now, how do we minister? What does that look like? Paul says we are competent not at, or as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What's he talking about? 
he explains. So let's look at 7 through 11 here. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I love Paul, but Paul uh, doesn't say things short, sweet, and simple. <laughs> uh, he has a tendency to repeat himself. So what is Paul talking about in this, in this paragraph here, in these sentences? Paul is talking about the ministry of the letter that brings condemnation. What's he talking about there? It's your first, I, I guess it's a point I have down here. The ministry of death, he says, it's the law that, Moses, or that Paul's talking about. The ministry that leads to death is the law. This is what we saw in Exodus chapter 34, right? Moses goes up Mount Sinai. God gives him the law, and it was glorious. It was glorious. So glorious that Moses came down the mountain, and his face shone with the glory of God. But it faded. It wasn't here to stay. It was written on stone. Moses' glory, the faith, his shining face, went away. But did you notice how the Israelites responded when they saw that glory? They were terrified. Yeah, I saw Sherm just cover his face. They, they needed Moses to cover his face. Why? Sorry, Sherm, I shouldn't have called you out, but <laughs> my, apologies. my apologies. Now everyone's going to sit there stone-faced, never making a, a, a motion because they don't want Pastor to call him out. But isn't, that's what happened. Mo, they wanted Moses to cover his face because the glory was terrifying. And we see this throughout Scripture. When an angel shows up with the glory of God, what do people do? They get terrified and they hide their face because they can't look on the glory of God. And Moses comes down with those Ten Commandments. And there's really no hope there. The Ten Commandments were not given to say, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you're right with God. No. Moses came down with the you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, and the Israelites should have said, but we have. But we have. Now what? I can't look at the glory of God because it's terrifying. Those Ten Commandments offered no hope. They only offered the reality that we're sinful. And that's what Paul says in Romans. He says, that the law was given so that we become conscious of sin. It is glorious. It is what we need to hear that we are sinful and that sin, the wages of sin, is death. And as glorious as that ministry is, there's an even greater glory, and that's the ministry of the Spirit, Paul says. The ministry of the Spirit equals the gospel. Paul says the ministry of the Spirit, God's Spirit, is not written on stone. God is alive, and His Spirit brings what? Look at verse 9, the end of verse 9. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? The ministry of the Spirit comes to you 
and changes your heart as you hear the message of Jesus' perfect life, his innocent death and resurrection for you. And through that message, the Spirit leads you to faith in Jesus as your Savior, and it brings you righteousness with God. What the law was incapable of doing, the ministry of the gospel does. It brings you right with God. It makes your relationship with God good. And it's through Jesus. Paul says we are the ministers of this covenant. Of this covenant. We get to tell people, yes, sin leads to death, but we have the answer to that death, and it's the risen Savior through whom you have righteousness with God. And because of this, Paul says we are bold. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing uh, the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says we are ministers of this new covenant. We don't have to put a veil on our face in front of others, but we have the glory, the hope. We reflect God's glory and we can gaze upon God's glory because Jesus has removed the veil. No longer is God's glory terrifying to sinners like you and me because what are we through Jesus? Righteous. We are right with God and so we can gaze on his beauty. This is the ministry that we are ministers of. This new covenant that yes, the law condemns us, but through Jesus we are right with God. We get to be ministers of that covenant. And so your first point today, we aren't ministers of a message of right and wrong. We aren't ministers of a message of right and wrong. And this is huge. Step back for a second. How would you describe our culture right now if you had to use words, adjectives? I think words like ungodly, corrupt, selfish. You think those are fair? I see a lot of head nodding agreeing with me, so uh, I think we're all on the same page. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you think our culture needs to hear in order to change, what's your first reaction? Well, they need to know what's right and wrong. Let me, I should say again, if you didn't hear this whole first part of this sermon, <laughs> what would be your initial response? Well, they need to hear what's right and wrong. We need to get back to morals in this country. They need to know that what they're doing is wrong. And as soon as they hear what is wrong, then we've done our job. If we can get their behavior right, all is well. And yet that's ministering with the old covenant. But why do we do that? 
Why do we want to be ministers of this message of right and wrong? Because it brings instant change. When people are afraid of punishment, they change. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're an employer, you know this. All you have to do is threaten punishment of some kind, and actions change pretty quick. But the heart doesn't change. We love being ministers of the old covenant, of right and wrong. We love getting people's people's behavior on track because if we think their behavior is right, then we've convinced ourselves that they are right with God. We even do this with ourselves. We even do this with ourselves. When, When we fail, when we sin, when we make mistakes, when we purposely transgress against God, how do we justify ourselves? A lot of times we think, well, at least I've done more right than wrong. Well, that's not really who I am. I'm more like this. Yes, I did that, but I've done all these other things, so I'm good. That is justifying ourselves with the old covenant, and the old covenant can't get you right with God. The Ten Commandments can't get you right with God. All they do is show you your sin and show you that sin leads to death. It puts that veil back over our face because we're too terrified to look at the glory of God. But Paul says we're not this minister, these ministers. We are ministers not of a message of right and wrong, but we are ministers of a message of a Savior who takes all our wrongs and makes them right. We are ministers of a new covenant, of a Savior who's taken all our wrongs and made them right. We have been ministered to. And we have heard the message of a Savior, Jesus, who lived perfectly in our place, who who kept the Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments that we can't keep, He kept it perfectly for us. We have a Savior who's taken our punishment and went to the cross and rose victoriously from the grave so that we are forgiven. We have this message. Yes, the Ten Commandments lead us to the point where we can't save ourselves. And that's what we need the Ten Commandments for. We need that message of the law so that we realize we aren't our own Savior. But we are ministers of that new covenant who, has the, who have the answers to death. And that is our Savior Jesus. Through whom... We have the forgiveness of sins. And notice what this message brings. Paul says uh, at the end of verse 17, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does the ministry of the gospel do? The ministry of the Spirit? It brings us freedom. Not to do whatever we want, but freedom from fear. We don't fear the punishment of God anymore. We don't fear that punishment because Jesus took the punishment for us. We don't fear death anymore because our Savior has conquered the grave. And he promises he's going to raise us back to life. And we don't fear that day when we stand before God and gaze upon his beauty, gaze upon his glory, because we are right with God through Jesus. Because Jesus took all of our wrongs and made them right.
we can stand before God and look him in the face and be at peace. This is the minister, ministry that we have. We get to be ministers of this covenant and tell people. This is why Job could say in Job, uh, back in the Old Testament where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end he's going to stand upon the earth. And though my flesh has been destroyed, yet I will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. That's why David could say in Psalm 27, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Because we've been made right with God. You know what this is like? People don't really do this anymore. Brides don't really do this at their wedding. They don't really have veils over their faces anymore, do they? I don't think Aunt, Anne's not in here. I don't think Anne did when we got married. I think a lot of times the veil just kind of goes on the back. But if you remember, uh, when a bride would go down the aisle, she'd have a veil over her face, and then when she got up to her husband, he would put the, pull the veil over, and his breath would be taken away as he saw the beauty and glory of his bride on that day. We don't have a veil over our face anymore, but we get to stare directly at God's beauty, his glory, his majesty, not because of us, but because of Jesus, because our sin has been removed and we are right with him through our Savior. This is what we get to build people up with. This is a message. This is a covenant that we are ministers of. And it's the best message we could ever give. And do you know what's ironic? Is we get so concerned about behavior. But did you notice what Paul says at the end here? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. Your last point today. The gospel transforms our lives. As we hear that message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for us, and that because of him we are right with God, it changes our lives. Do you remember what our mission statement is here at Divine Savior? I say it every Sunday as we begin our church service. Divine Savior, where we're all about changing people's lives with Jesus. We're not here to just change behavior. We are here to change people as we lead them to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who changes hearts. Jesus is the one who transforms people and, and increases them and, and transforms them into his image. We get the wonderful joy of leading people to their Savior, to build them up in the forgiveness of sin. Death's been conquered. We can stare at the glory of God, and as we contemplate Him and His glory, our lives are changed. You want your kids to be moral? You want the culture to change from ungodly to godly? It's not going out and preaching right from wrong. It's going out and leading them to their Savior Jesus, who's taken their sins away, has conquered the grave, and now we gaze upon the beauty and the glory of God. And as we do, lives are changed. And so let's go out and reflect this glory. The glory and the joy of the forgiveness of sins. That death has been conquered and people will change.
we will change as we grow closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you and praise you for keeping the law perfectly for us. We know we need to hear it. It's not a ministry that we can just get rid of, uh, but it's not a ministry that uh, we use to get right with God. Uh, We know that only comes from you. Uh, Instead, the law shows our sin. And it is a glorious message because it's only through that law that we realize we need a Savior, and that Savior is you. We thank you for the more glorious message of the gospel that because of your life, death, and resurrection, we are at peace with God. We've been made right. All our wrongs have been turned to right through you. We thank you for that. We thank you that we get to gaze upon the glory of God now and forever uh, because of you. Help us to reflect that glory to others, uh, that hope that we have. Let us be bold uh, because we have eternal life to look forward to, eternal life in the glory of God forever, and it will never pass away. Be with us, continue to build us up in that same message so that our faith may be strengthened, that we are forgiven and at peace with God. Amen.